There we go. Well, good morning. Welcome to New Vine Community Church. We're glad you could join us. And uh, thank you. And uh, uh, if you're new here, we always start off by singing some so uh, songs to God and telling him we love him and spending that good time worshiping. So I'll say a quick prayer and we will start. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for everything you've done for us this week. And help us just to focus our minds on you and to worship you now. In Jesus' name, amen. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame. Trust in Jesus' name. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly trust in Jesus' name. Christ alone, song.
somebody. My name's Allie, and we're glad you're here. If you're new here, go ahead and pick up one of these forms from the seat back in front of you, fill it out, and drop it in the offering bag as it goes through.
Thanks for watching the announcements. If you need any more information, go to our website or pick up a bulletin. Thanks for being here and enjoy the service. How are you? Welcome to spring, right? Or is tomorrow spring? Someone said that. Is it? This is winter 2.0 today. So, um, a couple things to remind you. If you have kids, next week we're, we're doing a skating party and the youth and the kids, or you can go skating if you want to go skating. And it's in Middletown Skateway, 4.30. And it's all free for you. You have to buy food there if you want to. Okay. I'm not going to skate because it would be crazy. Liz makes fun of me. Well, when we were younger, I'm still young. She'd make fun of me. She said I looked like trees going like that. So anyway, uh, that and then if you didn't get a chance to get some eggs on the way out, get, get eggs and fill them up with uh, candy because we have the big Easter egg hunt. And as I always say, what does the Easter eggs and the rabbit have anything to do with the resurrection? And it's nothing. It's just fun. Okay. And Easter, pray that it's not like this Easter Sunday because we're outside the big tent, but I've rented uh, heaters and sides for this tent. So it'll be good. All right? And invite somebody to Easter. People will go to church if you ask them to come on Easter Sunday. And we have lots of people. They'll come on Christmas and Easter. They're C&E Christians, right? So we call them. So it's a good, good deal. Let's say a prayer and we'll take up the offering. So, Lord, just thank you that we can give to you. Uh, just Lord, just uh, use it to your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, morning. How are we doing? You guys all right? Good. You guys ready for a short sermon? Dad's like, yes. Sometimes you don't know how long they're going to be, and so like I got to the end of it in the first service, and I was like, wow, that was really short. And some lady was like, was happy about it. So 
So we've been in a series called uh, In the Footsteps of Jesus as we begin the journey to the cross the, uh, during the, the season of Lent. And um, so that today we're going to look at a passage from Matthew uh, chapter 14. It's the feeding of the 5,000, that story. And so um, we're going to kind of explore that and, and see what we can can take from it. So um, good? Yeah. So let's let's take a few moments just to kind of just to be still, to be silent, to just get our, our hearts and our minds aligned and, and to just sit in the presence of God for a few moments before we begin. This morning, and Holy Spirit, we ask that you just come and just be with us. Open our hearts to your presence. And so we just release the stresses of our week, the worries, the anxieties. We celebrate all of the, the joy and all of the good things that happen. And so we just lay it all down uh, to you here in this moment. So we ask that you just be with us. May you bless our time. And in Jesus' name, everybody said, Amen. Matthew chapter 14, it says, When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. And hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and he healed their sick. Now, as evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place, and it's already getting late. So send the crowds away so that they can get food. They can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. But Jesus replied, They don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. We have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. And he, he said, Bring them here to me. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass and taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and he broke the loaves and he gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and were satisfied and the disciples picked up 12 baskets fulls of broken pieces that were left over. And the number of those who ate was about 5,000 men besides women and children. And so this passage begins by saying that When Jesus had heard what had happened, now what had happened is that his cousin John, you guys remember John the Baptist, that crazy guy? He's like that crazy uncle in your family, right? Crazy John had got himself in trouble by calling out the king, and and his entire ministry is about getting the people of Israel. His belief was that the people of Israel had gotten off track. And so he was calling them back, calling them to repent. 
And, and he also called out the political leaders, uh, Herod in particular, to, to repent because he was just up to no good. The problem when you call out political leaders is what? You usually get in trouble for that, right? And this is what happened to John. And so John was arrested, and then John was beheaded. And so Jesus is grieving the death, the loss of his cousin. And it says that he's gone with his disciples to a solitary place to kind of just probably chill, probably grieve, probably kind of just think it through, pray it through, all those types of things. But as they make their way to this region, they get there and there's all these people. And so Matthew records for us that Jesus had compassion on them. And so he began to heal their sick and, I assume, preach and teach a little bit. And it's at the end of the day, and they're in the middle of nowhere, and the disciples are like, hey, these people haven't had anything to eat. Let's send them off to the villages so that they can, like, eat some food and chill out, and we can, like, rest ourselves. And Jesus says to them, nah, you guys feed them. So... John records for us in the same story that there was a young little, there was a little boy there who had a, sounds like he packed his lunch. He was the only one that was responsible. He packed his lunch. And so I don't know how they got it. I don't know if the boy like offered it to them or if they stole it from the boy, right? Because sometimes people do that. Like, you know, when you're hungry, like anybody get, anybody get hangry? I get hangry. My, uh, Amber, Amber's picked it up over the years. She realizes, she's come to the point where she realizes that if I'm being irrational, it's probably because I'm hungry. Now, a little confession time here. I get it, honestly. Right? The guy back there on the wall, he's a saint 99.9% of the time. But if he's hungry, he can get a little angry as well. So I don't know how they got the lunch. I don't know if they stole it from the kid or if the kid gave it to them. But they have this lunch. And they're like, well, feed feed them? We got this. We got five pieces of bread and some fish here. And Jesus is like, okay, that'll work. And he takes it. And it says that he, he broke the bread and he blessed it. And then he gave it back to his disciples and that they began to feed the people. And the people were all kind of in groups. And so I don't know how it would have gone. They, I imagine that they have baskets and they're feeding and it's not running out. And Peter's like, hey, James, how's it going over there? I don't know. It's, it's working. And they just keep feeding. And before you know it, Five, ten, twenty thousand people, because it's five thousand men plus, are fed. Now that's a crazy story, right? Like, um, I'm sorry, my mic keeps coming undone. I've broke it. I'm gonna be in trouble. I know. I'm sorry, Pat. I'm trying. I'm trying my best. That's a crazy story. Like, does that? Do those types of things happen? And, like, how, how do you think about that? And, and I don't know. I've seen it happen. Seen it happen in, in Mexico. We've seen it happen. Like, I, I'll give you one 
one weird story. Dad did a sermon several years ago around, around this time, and he gave out these little metal nails that looked like the nails that would have probably gone through Jesus' hands on the cross. And that same week, I was working a football camp with uh, Anthony Munoz's organization. He brings in underprivileged kids, and they have a football camp. And we were at the Athletes in Action um, facilities. And so I grabbed a bag of these nails to give to the kids because it was a faith-based organization, and they were going to have devotions and stuff. And I had to do a devotion, and I had to teach these kids um, some stuff. And I was going to give out nails as like a little um, kind of reminder of the talk, the lesson. And I get there, and I don't have enough. Like I had maybe like 20-something, and there was way more than that. And I don't know how it, how it happened. I don't know how it worked. But every kid got a nail when we passed them out. Now, you can, you can believe that story. You don't have to believe it. I don't, I don't really care. It doesn't make no difference to me. But it's, it's a wild thing what happens when you give God the things that you don't have, which is kind of the point of this talk. How, how do we How do we respond to impossible circumstances? Because this is, this is the dilemma, I think, that the disciples are facing here. They, they see the need. They realize the need that's in front of them. And they know that, hey, we need to send these people off so that they can eat. And yet Jesus says to them, he says, no, you feed them. So I imagine that they're thinking, what? Right? Wouldn't you think that? What? How are we going to do this? Because it's an impossible circumstance. It's an impossible situation. Ever face impossible situations? I think there's a pattern here that we can learn from when we face impossible situations. Because my experience of life has been that it seems to be just impossible circumstance after impossible circumstance after impossible circumstance. Yeah? Like any, any of you guys got it all together? If you do, you can come up and tell us. But I know that for myself, I, I don't have a clue most of the time. Um, I remember when our son was born. We're, <laughs> this tells us, this, this will tell you everything you need to know about us. We ran out of gas on the way to the hospital for our son to be born. That's how responsible we are. And uh, I literally was digging through the the seats trying to find change so I could get enough gas to get us to the hospital, right? And so we're there, and Amber delivers Evan, and then she had some complications, and so they had to do like a little kind of emergency surgery with her, and they knocked her out, and she's recovering from that. And I remember sitting in the, in the hospital room with this child who's a few hours old, with no idea what I'm doing. Yeah? And my mother-in-law, Wanda, is there, and my mom is there, and they're sitting with me. And I feel safe because they're there. But about, I don't know, 11, 11, 11 p.m., midnight time, they both get up, and they're like, well, good job. We love you. We're going home. And I remember thinking to myself, What? You're leaving me? Amber's a, like, Amber's knocked out. What, I don't know what I'm doing. 
And I remember sitting there thinking, oh my gosh, we're responsible for this guy. An impossible circumstance in my mind. If you're a young parent, perhaps you've experienced this as well. Impossible. And I remember we, we take him home and I, I remember loading him up in our Jeep and, and I, I mean, I've driven Humvees in war zones. I don't get nervous about driving. And I've never been so scared in my life to drive that child home, that first drive. And and yet here we are. We've made it somehow. Maybe, I don't know, maybe we haven't made it. But he seems to be doing okay. And And over the years, we were able to make the right choices to to raise a child. Right, And if you're a young parent and you're afraid because you're not sure if you're making the right choices, I get it because it's a scary thing. My experience of being a parent is you, you're in this stage of life, and by the time you get to a point where you sort of know what you're doing in that stage of life, what happens? They move into another stage, and you're a complete rookie again. And it seems to be, to me, at least in my own experience, that is the game. You, once you get to a point where you feel like you know what you're doing, something changes. They go into junior high school, right? You have a, a beautiful young daughter who's been a princess in her entire life, and then she goes into junior high school, and you're like, who is this person? I'm not talking about you, Belle, by the way. Just hypothetical. Right? Or, or you get news. You get, you go to the doctor for a checkup and they come back in and they say, hey, there's a problem. And now you gotta figure out how to navigate that. You have to figure out how to navigate the unknown of all of that. Or maybe your relationships, your marriage gets on the rocks. Cause life, like, you change over the years. And life gets hard and it throws you curveballs. And, Maybe you wish they would have been like this or that or, or the other thing. Or, or maybe it's yourself. You find yourself just completely frustrated or confused or disillusioned by this whole thing. And you face these impossible circumstances. You face these moments in life where you don't have, you don't have what it takes. You don't have the answer. You don't know. Ever been there? And so what do we do? How do we respond to impossible circumstances? I believe that there's a pattern here within this passage that can reveal to us a path to move forward. Jesus says to his disciples, he said, hey, you feed them. And so they respond by saying, well... We have here only five loaves of bread and two fish. They don't have what it takes, right? They don't have the answer. They don't have enough to feed the people in front. They don't have a solution to the problem. But Jesus says to them, well, what do you have here? And this is what they say, well, this is what we have. And he says, well, bring them here to me. When we don't have what it takes to step into the thing that's in front of us, 
one way that we can deal with it is this, is that we give what we do have to Jesus. Does this make sense? And so I don't have an answer for feeding 5,000 people plus women and children. All we have is these five loaves of bread and two fish. This isn't enough. It's not the answer. And yet, Jesus says, just give that to me. And so we begin by offering to Jesus what we do have when we have to face circumstances that we don't have answers for. I've seen this happen to, to myself over the years hundreds of times as a pastor. Because if you're close to me, you know that I'm an idiot. Right? Like, you're like, uh, Mark? Like, my friends who don't come to church and they just know me, they think it's hilarious that I'm a pastor. They're like, how are you a pastor? You're the weirdest pastor that I've ever met. You're so stupid. Like, you know, and, and I get it because I'm not tricking myself. Like, I know how dumb I am. I know how lazy I am. I know how insecure I am. Like, I don't, ha- I don't have what it takes, right? I'm faking you guys out is what's going on. No. And, and maybe you, you face these same kinds of things. Like, you know in your heart, like, you don't have what it takes. And, and so we, we give to Jesus what we do have. We just have to say yes. Does this make sense? And, and so it, it begins there. When we're faced with circumstances that we don't have answers for, we begin by giving to Jesus what we do have. Which leads us to the next thought. It says that taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and he broke the loaves. And so Jesus receives from them what they do have. It then says that he breaks it and he blesses it. Now, this is an interesting detail to me. Because my experience in my relationship with God is that when I don't feel like I have what it takes to do the next thing, whatever the next thing may be, offering my lack to God is a humbling thing, right? To say to God, I don't have the answers is a humbling thing. Think about the first step in AA. What is it? You admit that you have a problem. Before you can solve any problem in your life, you first have to admit that you have one. And if we're going to face the circumstances that we have to face when we don't have what it takes to actually pull it off, we have to admit, hey, I don't have what it takes to pull this off. Does that make sense? And so there's a humility baked into this pattern. Jesus receives from us what we what we don't necessarily have, and he breaks it. He, he breaks it, but in that breaking, he also blesses it. And this is interesting here to me. That somehow in the brokenness of our lives, there's a blessing in it, hidden in it. When I first felt like um, 
God had wanted me to be a pastor, we went to a conference at the Columbus Vineyard, and there was a, like a time for prayer afterwards. And I had all kinds of like hesitations about being a pastor. Like, Chuck Wolfenbarger is a superstar, right? He's an all-star. How in the world? It'd be like, uh, I don't want to say, well, it'd be like LeBron James's kid trying to take over, right? Or Michael Jordan or something like that. Like that, in my mind, dad's not, is at the top of the mountain. And how in the world would I ever follow in those types of footsteps? Does that make sense to you guys? And so I had all these hesitations. I had a whole several years of being a crazy person in the Marine Corps and in life. And I was like, man, if anybody ever, like, knew about those types of things, that will disqualify me from being a pastor. Or I had all these, like, intellectual issues because I'm pretty dumb and barely graduated high school, flunked out of college several times. Um, laugh it up over there. <laughs> I'm kidding. But seriously, like, you know what I mean? Like, and then the idea that, like, that I'm going to be a spiritual teacher, that's funny. Like, it, to me, it's a joke. You guys come, and I don't know why. To me, it's a joke. Like, what? But I had all these, like, issues, problems. Like, I could see why I was thinking to myself, God, this got to be the wrong idea here. You're, you've lost your mind. And I remember, I remember, so we're at this conference and this lady prays for me. And as she's praying for me, she says that she sees this vision and, you know, whatever. And she says, I see, I see this vessel. It's like this jar. It's got all these cracks. And you're really ashamed of these cracks. You're trying to cover them up. She says, but in the same sense, I see the grace of God pouring into this vessel. And it's out of those cracks that God's grace will actually pour into other people's lives. And I remember thinking, oh, no, i got to share this stuff with people? But it sort of freed me up a little bit. It, it actually freed me up a lot because I didn't have to pretend that I was Chuck Wolfenbarger or Joel Olstein or Billy Graham or anybody else. I could just be dumb Mark, and if this is God, it'll work, and if not, no big deal. Does that make sense? And so God takes our lives, and in that admitting that we don't have what it takes, that breaking, somehow through that breaking, he blesses us. Yeah? And so maybe you have failures in your life. Maybe you have insecurities. Maybe you have things about you that you don't like. My observation over the years is that God takes, or maybe, maybe bad, something terrible happened to you and it's just, it's left you broken. My observation over the years is that somehow when we give those things to Jesus, in that breaking, He blesses it. And so, in all the ways that you've messed it up over the years, in your own hands, there's not much. But when you give it to God, he does something with it. Does this make sense? And so I've seen it, I've seen it happen a thousand times. I've seen people go through great suffering and then they hand it to God and God heals it and then somehow through that process, they're able to bless other people because of the brokenness that they had to go through. Which leads us to this next thought. It says that then he gave to them, he gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the people. 
and they all ate and were satisfied. See, in our own hands, what we don't have isn't going to work. But when we give it to Jesus and he gives it back, something magical happens. See, in the hands of Jesus, our inabilities become a grace and a gift for others. And so you may not have what it takes. Reality is you probably don't. But when we take that and we give it to God, as he breaks it and blesses it and returns it to us, it ends up being enough. In this story, they had leftovers. So it ends up being more than enough. And so we learn this pattern of offering our insecurities, giving them to Jesus, allowing him to bless them, and then it becomes more than enough. And Evan's doing quite fine. And our marriage is a beautiful thing. And all of the ways that our me and Amber and our goofiness should have not made it, it has. And you people are here. And I know all of the nonsense that you've had to endure and all the suffering that you've faced and all of the tears that we've shared, and yet here we are. In our own hands, it wasn't enough. But as we as a community offer it to God, he does something with it. He breaks it, it breaks us, and yet in that breaking, there's a blessing, and it's more than enough. Does that make sense? Yeah? And so perhaps you could say it like this. Jesus takes our lives. He blesses our brokenness. And he gives it back to us to be a blessing for others. And so when we face these circumstances that are impossible, we can trust that though I may not have enough, though I may not have an answer for this, I'm going to offer what I do have to Jesus, trusting that he's going to bless this brokenness He's going to get me through it and that somehow he's also going to use it to be a blessing to other people. Good? All right, we're done. Two questions. What's God saying to you? And what are you going to do about it? What are you facing today that you don't have an answer for? What do you have, what do you do have that you can give to Jesus to begin the process of getting through it? And so we're going to take a few moments to simply reflect on this, and then we're going to share communion together. So Holy Spirit, we ask that you come, that you speak to our hearts in these next few moments.
Grab one of these if you like. You see the same pattern within the story of this Last Supper. Jesus takes the bread and he breaks it. And he gives it to his disciples. And here we are, thousands of years later, still practicing this pattern of understanding that our lives are given to Jesus, that he breaks it, he gives it back to us. And so we practice this every week. And every week we pray this prayer to center our hearts and minds. And so pray this with me. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So glory to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. And after giving thanks, he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples, and he said, This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took a cup of wine. He said, this is the blood of the new covenant that's been shed for you. And he gave it to his disciples. He said, do this in remembrance of me. Later, reflecting on this, the Apostle Paul said that every time that you and I, we gather and we take this bread and we drink from this cup, we're proclaiming the Lord's death until he returns, which means we remember what Jesus did, that he was broken and poured out for the sake of the world. And we're reminded that we get to take part, that we are called to be broken and poured out the people in our lives. So take the bread and look at the person next to you and say, the body of Christ that was broken for you. Now the cup. And tell, tell the person next to you the blood of Christ that was shed for you. All right. Amen. So I'll stand. Grab hands with the person next to you if you like. Next week is our, is it the skating party? When do the eggs got to be back? When do the eggs need to be back? Next week. So bring the eggs back, skating party. Yeah, whoever bought dad's dinner last night at, where, you at, where were you at? All right, so they're at Outback last night, and they go to pay, and someone someone from our church was there and paid for them, but they're keeping a secret, so just tell them it was you. Every, <laughs> this is every one of you. Like, it was me. You're welcome. All right, let's pray. So, Father, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for this this pattern that Jesus offers us to to give what we don't have, our lack, to you so that you can do something with it. So we ask that you just uh, do that this week in our lives. Begin that process. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you just guide us and keep us. And in Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Amen. See you guys.